Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. Welcome to Thinking Reimagined, changing the mindset for a better global society. Today is a very special day because we have um, convened an amazing group of human beings, people who are dedicated to um, two very important topics um, for most of us. The first one is cancer awareness and the second is teacher appreciation. As many of you know, I'm an educationist by training and I do believe that all aspects of my life are actually governed by education and awareness and of course advocacy. Thank you everyone for joining us. And um, this is a live stream. So we want to acknowledge all those who are joining us virtually, not just our guests, but also those who are joining us on all of our platforms. Um, today's topic is living with awareness and appreciation. And we're going to split this discussion into two halves. The first one is going to focus on cancer awareness. The second will be on teacher appreciation. And I do think that whilst um, some may think that there is no unity within this subject. There is, there's an appreciation and awareness of life and what education has to offer us in terms of being aware of a global disease such as cancer. The data out there speaks for itself. Cancer is a global disease that affects over 20 million people. In 2020, the data reflected that 19.3 million people lived with cancer and of course we lost about 10 million people to cancer um, more men are affected by cancer than women 9.3 is the million is the figure we have for 2022 and 8.8 .8 million women what is interesting is that the types of cancers represented that breast cancer is the number one um, killer or the highest rate is in breast cancer followed by lung cancer, colorectal, colon rectal, prostrate, stomach, liver, cervix, esophagus, thyroid, and bladder. Those are the top 10. So today we're going to start our conversation very shortly after my co-host Nifemi has joined us um, to introduce our guest. And we're going to start the conversation with Busy as well as um, our other guest, Kimberly. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And Nifemi, how are you today? I'm terrific, Dr. Ama. BC Bright joins us on this episode of the program. Dr. BC Bright is a consultant, um, clinical pharmacist, a lecturer, psychologist, and public health practitioner. And she's the first vice chairman and CEO of Live Well Initiative, a fellow of the Pharmaceutical Society of Nigeria and fellow West African Postgraduate College of Pharmacists. She's also a distinguished national awardee of the Association of Lady Pharmacists, a two-time international awardee of the International Association of Therapeutic Drug Monitoring and Clinical Toxicology. Uh, BC is listed as the top 90% innovative researchers in the Global ResearchGate platform and among the top 95% new researchers globally. I'll stop there so we don't um, take all the time on this uh, episode to read out BC's um, very impressive resume. Dr. BC Bright, thank you for joining us on Thinking Thank Remind. you, it's a Thank you, it's my privilege to be here. Thank you. Kimberly Peterside is with us again, an aviator with over 15 years experience in cabin, cockpit operations, finance, quality assurance, safety and logistics departments. She's CEO to two companies, Crimson Blue Company and Logistics, and also Posh Perceptions, which is a travel 
tourism and hospitality platform. Kimberly Peterside, thank you for joining us yet again. Thank you for having me. You heard from thank the co-founder earlier, Peter Amon Boyum, who is an actor uh, and who's also very passionate about um, issues that affect um, women, uh, which also uh, bothers our first discussion on this episode. Peter Mamboyo, thank you so much for talking to us. Well, thank you so much, Nifemi, for those introductions. And um, I am so eager to have this conversation. Um, you know, one of the th conversations that I had earlier with Kimberly is that she is a survivor of cancer. And Kimberly, I thought we could just start by having a discussion on, on your experience um, going through the cancer phase and, of course, being a survivor and some of the um, health um, challenges, or should I say, some of the precautions that you have taken and uh, information that you would like to share with others. Okay. Um, challenges goes all around. You know, everything changes at a drop of a hat. Once the, the diagnosis came through, everything, like, it became, it was like the whole world came crashing down. Um, mentally, I was down to zero. I was still trying to put myself up there. Let me, let me, let me take that back. I was still trying to put myself up, you know, have a smiley face and everything. But psychologically, emotionally, I was totally down. And at that point, you notice that you begin to lose everything. You begin to lose friends. You begin to lose all sorts just by being in a state of repression or depression, let me put it that way. Um, right from the beginning, it was surreal. Let me put it that way. Um, I, I just didn't believe, yeah, I had had encounter with cancer before from my older sister who we lost to it. So there was a bit of a double scare for me when I got the diagnosis. And um, from then on, life changed, you know, just immediately. Um, I had to start, I had to change diets. I had to change sleep time. I had to change, I mean, I was taking drugs that I never knew existed, you know, doing different tests, uh, like, Every two days I had to go to hospital. I was getting weak. First time I had to try chemotherapy, I thought I was gonna die, but um, I'm still here. I'm so glad that you're still here. And one of the things that you're highlighting today is the importance of having support for those who are dealing with cancer um, and being able to have a network. And it doesn't help when you're losing friends and family. Um, part of it has to do with this fear of cancer and what it means, because there's so many myths about cancer, isn't, aren't there? Yes, there are. There's so I have heard so much that I don't even know where to start from. And the reason why I enjoy um, platforms like this is to put awareness out there that this is what cancer is and this is what cancer is not. And I'm very grateful for this. Thank you. Well, we're glad that you can you can join us and um, share your personal story um, regarding cancer. But you're cancer free now. And I understand that you've got an initiative that you feel that is very critical for to support others who may be going through this. Yes, um, going through my own experience, I think everybody learns from experience most basically. Um, all through that period, I was alone. You know, I might have been in a world full of people, but I felt very alone. And I don't want, it, I, it, it's for you to, you wouldn't understand what it's like, you know, when you have things, you have, you think you have people, you know, um, emotional support, um, mental support, financial support, but you look left, look right, and it's not there. So I, I took it upon myself to like, okay, I've been through this, I know what it's like, and I wouldn't want the next person to go through that. I, as much as possible, I know I can't reach out to everybody, but as much as I can with the people that are coming up to partner with me, we'll reach as much as we can. Not just the awareness, but the support is much more important. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, I, I must admit that I am also a cancer survivor um, and uh, being able to detect it earlier was very critical. 
And I think that's something that we should really discuss today and um, heighten. Um, Busy, what would you like to share? Because this is a discussion. So I'm hoping that your uh, audio is restored. Are you with us? Yes, I am. I'm really sorry about the poor network. So I was talking about screening generally and talking about the fact that um, nine out of 10 cases of breast cancer occur in women and the remaining one out of 10 occurs in men. We're talking about breast cancer. We're actually talking both to the men and to the women. And like Kimberly has said, it is very important to know that um, early detection um, is key when it cancer at all, especially the breast, the, um, the cervical, and um, for the men, the prostate cancer. In fact, for men, when the prostate cancer is detected early, um, you just find that the, the physician, the, the oncologist might just decide um, that they watch and see, and that's the best therapy most times for, for prostate cancer. So for, um, for breast cancer and for every type of staging is the most important thing. When it is detected early, then treatment commences very early and um, um, survival, the chances of survival is, is very high. Now, most people tend to self-stigmatize when cancer is detected, um, self-detected or suspected. So a person suspects that they cancer and they hide it and that is more on among healthcare professionals. I've lost of colleagues who kind of self-suspected that they had cancer and rather than into the health system, they try to self-treat and, and in the process, by the time it's now officially detected, the staging has verified that stage, stage three or even stage four is too late. Like uh, within the NGO, we run a lot of pre-diagnostic tests, both for the cycle as well as breast cancer. It helps to reduce the pressure on the health system. And uh, let me give a quick example. For the cervical, cervical cancer is the uh, cancer of the cervix. Cervix is that um, um, any organ that is the entrance that leads to the womb. So um, when it is detected, the, the cervix can be cut off with a process called cauterization and another new in cervix can grow and that patient can survive very easily. So um, the new test now, in, in those days they had, the, had to go through the human papilloma virus testing and all that, which is the real test for cervical cancer even up till now. But today we have the pre-diagnostic test, which is called the VIA visual inspection using um, a simple vision of acetic acid. Acetic acid is vinegar, vinegar you use for your salad and so on. So a simple test using the acetic acid visual test helps to pre-detect changes in the, um, in the cervix. And, um, and so there's early detection and this can save a life. In fact, within my organization, one of our very senior nurses, she was taking um, some students on a practical test and uh, they didn't have enough people to be tested. She surrendered herself to be tested and that's how we found that she herself tested positive and they had to send her, of course, to the teaching hospital where uh, she had a cauterization and she's alone well today. This happened about eight, ten years ago. So early detection is very, very important and it is just detected accidentally, but early detection is very important both for the uh, for the breast and for the for the men too. Um, doing a prostate test is very important, especially if a man is above 45 of age and then um, and notices is in the urine pattern. Uh, let me just quickly okay. follow up on some of the issues you've raised. You've talked about early okay, detection. And then I like the fact that you also mentioned that even though breast cancer is more common in women, it can also affect uh, men. And um, awareness among men in the area of breast cancer is quite low. 
And that's perhaps what's responsible for delayed treatment and um, higher mortality rates. I, I lost someone very close to me, you know, more or less like a father figure, and he died of breast cancer. So, but I want you to speak to what men can do in this regard. Should men also perform breast self-examination? Um, what are the symptoms to look out for? She can hear us, but I'd like to come in here, being a man. Um, when I was in Ghana, I did a um, breast cancer, was it examination? But I've never seen it done in Nigeria. I don't know if they do, but in Ghana, they did it. And there was a whole bunch of men doing the breast cancer. So um, also, I like this conversation because it's talking about awareness and um, education of breast cancer because I did a movie on cervical cancer. And do you know that cervical oh. cancer is the only cancer that's transferable from men to women? That is how breast cancer is got. It is contracted from the scrotum of men to women. I don't know, think most people know that, but that but is how, how? Breast, I mean, cervical cancer is contracted. So it's one of the cancers that is avoidable and early detection is key. So this hour from into the men need to really um, understand yes. what yes. that is. Both women that can have cancer, the HPV is actually dominant in men. Yes, and they don't even know when they're transferring it to the women who have like re repellent. And once it repels like that, that's why it spreads round. You understand? Uh, I am the survivor of cervical cancer. So, and so funny that men don't get it, but they transfer it, they're the carriers yeah, that transfer it. I don't understand that, but um, <laughs> like we had, um, I understood mine from the FBI Awareness Program, which is a female bikers initiative. And we had, we had boots, you know, at the um, bikers conference. So it was both guys and, you know, females come and get tested and people did not understand why men should be having breast cancer. Well, yes, we have it in Nigeria. We have test centers in Nigeria for the men. But we're trying to increase the number of people. Don't just shift it to say, oh, cancer is a female disease. It's only prostate cancer that men should be aware of. Men and women should be aware of everything. So once you find any little symptom, you know, you know where to go and where to get help. Leave the stigmatization. I think my the main problem um, I think we run away from is a stigmatization. Oh, she has cancer. I can't talk to her. She has cancer. I can't talk to him. He has cancer. Where is he? This one is a well, what I was referred to as was a half person. Mm -hmm. You know, so yes. that alone was enough to tell you that my my um self-esteem went from here to here. You know, just listening to that. But I thank God today, um, I took it upon myself. Not everybody has the, you know, the medium to reach out to different um, societies or reach out to people like Dr. Ama or something to say, oh, I have this and I need help. A lot of people are in the villages, women that are going to farm every day. They don't even know that they have these things. So how are we going to do that? Or even when they do know that they have it, there is no, they don't, they're not financially stable. They are the ones carrying the home. Most women are the ones carrying the homes way down there. Are they going to leave? They're not going to leave their farms or leave their children to say they're going to hospital so that the next person in the next village will tell them, oh, you have cancer, you're going to die soon. They don't want to hear that. So my question here for the doctor is how do we balance this in the brains of people to please, you know, stop the stigmatization? It's very key for me. Very, very key stigmatization for all kinds of you know contractible diseases both hiv and the rest yes it might be a death sentence but how do we also instead of speaking death to people we speak life to people you know kimberly i have to say you brought up the question i was going to raise earlier which is very often the information is in the urban areas people are aware of it in the urban areas even if they're in denial that cancer does exist because there are many people who, as BC mentioned, have cancer and sort of self-treat 
or don't want to talk about it or hide in their homes and don't realize that you can educate others, you can create greater awareness by speaking about it and being honest as to what you're experiencing. That is how you begin to break down the barriers and you break down the stigmatization by speaking to it, not hiding in your homes or not trying to self-treat yourself. And then of course, not having the results that others will expect. But there's also in some areas a cultural um, stigma and resistance to even understanding what cancer is. It is an abnormal, abnorm, abnormality, excuse me, abnormality of cells in its most basic form. That's what it is. But again, there has to be discussion. Now, the question you raised, which is very important, is how do we get to the rural areas? How do we get to those rural women who are dealing with it? Or even just letting people know that, oh, this person or that person is dead or that person was losing a lot of weight or didn't look well. Nobody is going to those areas to inform them that it is possible to be screened for these things. It is not widely available, but how do we go about increasing the screening, the availability of cancer screening, the, the education. You know, part of this is you're, we're living with these things, but we also have to appreciate what is available to help inform people on what it means to take better care of yourself and to use what is available to ensure you're, you're healthy and to address these kinds of things. Okay, yeah, I, I think that is where the CSOs come, the civil society organizations. They have contact with the communities, they are closer to the villages and to the hinterlands. And then uh, when it comes to gender, um, cancers, have, cancer awareness has to be taught in schools. Um, um, and and um, even though screening becomes a challenge, um, it is also important to teach it to the youth. Um, and to encourage youth groups to to work um, talking about things like that. Now, Kimberly said the stigma is always the major challenge, um, the stigma, but um, community leaders can play a key role there. And then the basic nutri tests are more affordable because you have to look at what the politicians are willing to do. It's always the lack of political will when they lose the cost of diagnosis. But if basic tests are run, you know, a, a nurse, a community worker is taught to screen to do a pre-diagnostic testing with basic gloves on a woman's breast, and is also taught to do the visual inspection using acetic acid. That be done in the village, and then those who need further screening can be sent to the health center. Um, uh, a mammogram for um, the human papilloma virus, HP tests as we call it, because those are highly skilled tests that need to be done by specialist physicians. But the awareness creation is very important and that can be done at the community level. And we can use simple um, um, CSOs as well as the, the lowest cadre of healthcare uh, workers to go into the villages and sensitize people and ask them, have you ever been screened? Have you been screened? Um, we've lost Busy, but I do want to say that the, the most important point that I have picked up here is the CSOs and having the CSOs being able to go to the rural areas and also having um, cancer education or health education. Let's call it health education as a whole in schools. Health education is important because if we can start with health, mental health and physical health education in schools, that information will then go to the homes and the children I have learned will teach the parents what they're learning from school and there will be more discussions going on. Um, one of the other things that we should probably touch on if we do have some time is funding. The lack of funding is affecting the ability to actually get the word out. Creating awareness requires funding. And many times when I speak to CSOs and NGOs, the question is, where is the money? Where is the funding? If the hospitals don't have the funding that is necessary, how is it that the NGOs and the CSOs are going to get that funding? Um, it is a question that all of us should really consider. What, what can we do within our communities to help get the message across 
um, and is there an, is there a greater need for public you know public service announcements about these kinds of things so that um, people are better informed and uh, we have to encourage men we have to encourage men to go for health checkups, health screenings. They're the ones who resist more than women. You know, women will say, maybe once a year I go for a health checkup, but men will tell you, oh, it's been a few years. And they tend not to go until something is wrong, whereas women will take the time to go on a regular basis. So there has to be more encouragement for men to um, participate in, in health screening. I know that our time with this session is coming, um, is wrapping up. So perhaps there will be a few last comments from each, um, from, from um, Kimberly and Busy. You're welcome to continue with us until the next segment, which is going to be a teacher appreciation, but would love to know if you have a few last comments or words that you would like to um, share before you leave, if you choose to leave, but we do think you can join the next conversation. Um, I would say I would give my whole self, you know, into the drive to eradicating cancer as much as we can. And I wouldn't mind being in partnership with Dr. Bisi as well, as my own um, initiative is, is on, is, you know, is just budding and we have this hunger to, you know, balance out. I can remember when I had the particular drug to take and it was 130,000 just for one. And then by the time it was, I was to take the third one, it, it, he had risen to 730,000 just for one. A lot of us can't afford that. Not to talk of, we can't even tell the next person. Given the 100,000 is a problem. So there are lots of things I hope we're going to have a comeback of this particular topic because it's heavy on my heart. To be honest with you, it's it's very heavy, and I would also implore that um, any other person watching this that has the same hunger as I do, you can reach out to me, and we'll do something together. Thank you, Dr. Ama. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you, Bissy. Yeah. Did you have some something you wanted yes, to say, Bissy? Yes, please. Yes, please. Thank you, Kimberly, uh, for your kind offer. We'll be happy to work with you. We are a CSO. Um, I just want to tell people out there. Um, a very, I just want to give a very short message. Don't hide it, get it checked. Don't hide it, get it checked. That's a very short message which would reach out to people. So uh, a person sees a sudden blood stain, a sudden lump, a sudden um, growth somewhere in the body. Don't hide it, get it checked. So that's my message to Everybody. Thank you. Well, I have to say that's a very powerful message, particularly if you're in um, the parts of the world where people tend to hide their, their diseases um, yes. and, and what ails them mentally or otherwise. Don't hide it, get it checked. It is the greatest way that we can use our courage to overcome what ails us. Thank you so much. This is the Thinking Reimagined podcast, sponsored by Allied Empowerment. Allied Empowerment Consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions, brain-based leadership, and coaching. Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams, and individuals to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement, and communication. Allied Empowerment thriving in a sustainable and valued manner. The next segment is about teacher appreciation. And all of us here have had wonderful teachers in our lives. Just to lead us into that discussion. Um, Kimberly, tell us about a special teacher in your life. Oh, wow. I've had quite a few. Um, not just um, educational, but, you know, lifestyle everything but let me take my educational that that has to be let's say in university um his name was dr antia and um he was like he knew that i was going to give up at any point at every point actually and um he would always you know find the easy way out you know for me to assimilate what i felt was a hurdle 
in um, reaching my goal at the end of the day. And um, I'll use this opportunity to say thank you to him because without him, I don't think I would have gone past my third year. <laughs> I helped put it that way. And then he's been um, a blessing to others as well because I hear the stories we see it on Facebook where everybody's praising him. He's just a wonderful person. And I hope we'll have more people like him. Thank you. Oh, that's wonderful. Busy, what about you? Would you like to uh, say something to a teacher that has touched your life and uh, in some way influenced the woman that you are today? Um, in particular, I had a teacher who was my principal when I was in secondary school, um, the late Mrs. Oreva. She was so strict. You know, I went to Queens. They taught us everything from etiquette to um, to language, to comportment, to, you know, you had to talk in your tummy and push out your chest. And, you know, she she really made a mark in my life in particular. can never, ever forget her. She was a mathematics teacher and she made me love mathematics to the core. And, I'm, and that's why I'm a scientist today. Um, I love so many other teachers that have taught me. I remember her in particular because those were my formative years. And I give a lot of kudos to teachers out there in the world with this class. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much for those wonderful words of gratitude and appreciation for the teachers that you've had in your life. You know, I had the wonderful honor this morning of attending a teacher appreciation at a school here. Um, for those who are wondering where I am in the world, I am currently in Nigeria because I know last week I was in the Seychelles, but I am here in Nigeria. And I had the wonderful honor of um, joining a school today as they had a teacher appreciation and um, a jury, AJ as we call her, her friends, uh, was able to put this together and um, it brought back memories of being in primary school. And I must say, I've had uh, many teachers in and out of schools, but um, I would like to acknowledge um, Claire Sampson. And uh, she was my English teacher, my English literature teacher, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed the love of language and reading and uh, writing. It all started with her. And of course, my university professor, um, Jackie Alexander. And um, till today, she taught me the one thing I always remember, question knowledge. So no matter when people say things, I always question it and wonder, is there a different way of thinking about this and how do we find solutions? As a matter of fact, I always say to her when we speak um, 30, almost 40 years later, you still haven't graded that paper because there was a paper I gave her and she said, um, are you sure you're finished with it? And I said, yes, because I don't think so. But she gave it back to me and each time I would turn it back into her, she says, do you really think you need to submit this? You will know when it's done. And uh, it was just wonderful to know that that inquiry, that curiosity, that thirst for knowledge and applicability um, carries on today. So thank you, all of you. And I have to say, all of you are teachers for me um, today because I've learned something from everyone who is here today. So Nifemi, we're joined by AJ Ajiri, um, who I just mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, Ajiri, welcome and thank you for joining us on this conversation, which is about appreciation and teacher appreciation. Thank you for thank joining us. So, Ajiri, thank you. Um, Good afternoon, everyone. She's a certified financial literacy education instructor and she holds a BSc degree in accounting from Hull University uh, in the United Kingdom and a diploma in business studies from Greenwich. School of Management, London. She has over 20 years experience gleaned from the financial services and education industry. Ajiri has worked with various private and public schools as an entrepreneur and through corporate bodies where she conceptualized and executed several projects. She moved from her corporate career to relaunch her own business and children and youth content creation and life skills. Well, Ajiri, perhaps a good place to start is to mention if a teacher inspired you to do what you what you're doing right now thank you so much dr ama for joining us earlier this morning for the teacher's appreciation and um, to answer your question nifemi a teacher that inspired me was a teacher that saved me from um, another teacher 
who was bullying me into not accepting or believing in what my capacity um, for a subject was. Particularly, um, it's um, Mrs. Ranjini of blessed memory, uh, an accounting teacher. After every uh, lecture, he will he will say, okay, anybody with any question? But if you do have a question, let me just let you know this. This concept is child's play in the sports of children. And with that said, you can't ask a question. And that went on class after class. And I thought to myself, if I had, if I continue this way, I will fail the subject. I wasn't understanding the concept and he was bullying us into thinking that the concept he was teaching us was very easy. So I had to run to another um, a, a lecturer, uh, Mrs. Ranjini, and I told her, look, you've got to help me here. And then she said, okay, are you ready to give two hours every week? And I said, yes. And after every, um, all her classes, I'll go to her office and she put me through um, the subject. And I realized that so many people, many learners are, are suffering like me as well, especially young people and in public schools, particularly, um, whereby the, the, the teachers are not well motivated. So can you imagine this, the learners who are suffering in, in schools and also being bullied by other teachers that say, don't even ask us any questions because you should know this. And that puts some students off. And that encouraged me to actually um, go out there um, adopt the school. I started by adopting a school. I went to Lagos State Ministry of Education and uh, put down my um, my thoughts about you know my passion and my journey and what I want to do in schools um, through a club. And um, working in the school will of course allow me to work with the teachers as well. And um, thank God they approved the, the program and then um, gave me two schools to adopt. And that's, um, that's where I landed today with um, the teacher's appreciation, um, appreciating them really for all the work that they do and encouraging them, um, I think most importantly, because they need motivation. Um, the public school teachers need motivation and we, they need people from outside the public sector to come regularly, to check, to monitor, to encourage, um, them in, in, their, in their journey as teachers. So um, basically um, today was something like a dream come true. Um, this is the first time we had done a teacher's appreciation program. And Dr. Ama, thank you so much. Because it's different when you're with other people. If I came there on my own, they used to see me, but having other you know personalities and people who are renowned in whatever they're doing, coming together, it, it meant a lot to them. And I, I um, implore everyone else, you know, to adopt a school, go to the school every now and again, you know, at key times, end of year, beginning of term, teachers appreciation and do something to encourage not just the teachers, but also the students. I feel so empowered. It's almost like I've been given a $1 million check. I feel Indeed. so happy and excited because you don't, you don't know who you have touched, the student and the teacher. We gave them gift boxes. Dr. Amma, you know, gave them gift boxes. Other people gave them cash. Um, the principal of another school volunteered his time for mentorship. Um, I mean, he's made my day, my year, you know, and it makes it makes for a better future for all of us, right? So thank you very much, Dr. Amma, again. Especially for those aspiring to be teachers. Um, it, it, it's a laudable work, um, Adiri. Yeah. Interestingly, the the theme for this year's commemoration has to do with um, the teachers we need for the education we want. For the education we want, that's it. There's a concept of it that talks about global imperative to reverse the teacher shortage. I, I just want to hear from you quickly. Yes. Which do you think is the primary challenge here? Uh, the shortage in number of teachers or in the quality of teachers that we currently have? Um, it's the quality, it's not a shortage. People want to go into teaching, me and everyone. They want to go into teaching, um, but it's the motivation, the resources available, you know, to create that learning experience and that environment that makes teaching easy. So right now what we see is people who are not really teachers, 
and who are just looking for something, you know, to while away time or, you know, like a monthly income. So therefore, what do you get? You get poor quality teachers because they're not really qualified or they're not, um, they haven't gone through the thorough process of being, um, of being, um, of being qualified to teach. So you have people who just maybe read um, chemistry and says, okay, um, the government, they're looking for teachers. So we're just putting our application. So I, I think it's not a shortage. Um, I think it's a quality. And it's like, it's a chicken and egg situation whereby um, they need to have to encourage teachers and also invest money in terms of proper training of teachers who are passionate and who have shown ability as well. In Finland and in Barbados, to be a teacher is like becoming a doctor. You have to go through a very rigorous process in terms of um, why do you want to go into the teaching profession? What is your uh, objective? What is your aim? That is before you were, you're being accepted to take a course. In Finland, it's, 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 you don't just apply to be a teacher you must go through a rigorous interview process for you to be accepted to do the course. The same thing in the Caribbean island in Barbados. It's a noble profession, highly valued. And I think that's the way it should be seen here in Nigeria, not for people who are trying to pass time or looking for a job. Then you get the quality teachers. Then you can invest in them in terms of exchange programs, mentorship, and all of that. So I'm thinking that... To, um, quickly, uh, I, I don't know. Am I am I audible? Yes, you are. But I wanted you to answer okay. a question uh, rather than ask a question yourself. Because apart from being um, an educator, you've also had years of interacting with teachers in this climb yourself. Yeah. Perhaps, um, and I'm sure you must have been able yes. to identify what you think is that lacuna. Um, what's that huge gap that we need to bridge? if we're going to change the reality uh, of things as we have them. You know, Nifemi, it's, it's interesting you should pose that question because I think that post question was posed earlier to me by a reporter. And I, I think it's both. On one hand, you don't have a great pool of individuals that wish to go into teaching. And I think Ajiri just hinted at that, that people who are coming into teaching as just a way of getting some sort of basic um, substance to get going. The, the dedication and the passion that it takes to be a teacher, whether regardless of the field, um, it's a passion, it's a life goal, it, it's it's a calling. It's I think teaching is the most noble of professions. And every single person who is successful, whether you want to look at success financially or spiritually, will tell you that there was a teacher in their life or teachers who brought them to where they are. But teachers overall globally are not given the recognition and the appreciation that they deserve. And they're not paid properly. Um, you know, they're not getting the resources. I suppose we should stay in Nigeria because that's where we are right now. Most of us are, although I know Bissi is in the US, but she's here most of the time. Um, it, it, it is sad to see the conditions in the schools. It is sad to see the conditions in which teachers are expected to give their very best. We need to give teachers supplies. We need to give teachers ongoing professional development. Uh, it's very critical for them to have that. We need to bring the educational standard up so that the students are prepared for global workplace, global participation in the workplace. We need to look at how we're funding education. All of these things are very critical. If we don't look at these things, then how can you say the pool of people you have have the best tools for them to perform the jobs that they wish to do and contribute to society? Teachers are very critical. Teachers are influencers and influencers need the tools in order for them to influence and nurture the young minds. So there's a plethora of things that are needed for us to, um, to really look at what, what does it mean to have a good pool of teachers? And when you get a good pool of teachers, how do you continue to support them? Mentorship is important. Sponsorship is important. Ongoing training is important. Paying them the best of salaries. Their countries where 
teachers earn just as much as doctors because of the amount of training that they they require to have the knowledge that they continue to work to accumulate as they're in their professional sphere so we we have to look at all of these things earlier on when busy was speaking we were talking about i mean this is a health related thing but we were talking about being able to get out into the communities the rural areas health educators are, are necessary health teachers teachers that are teaching health in schools but also going out into the community that is something that we should tap into because if we can disseminate more information people are better informed and then they can make better decisions about their lives and about their children at the end of the day so hopefully if I may I responded to your question absolutely dr ama absolutely i i i just want to um, also bring in, I can tell that um, Dr. Bright is still here. And, um, yes. Oh, yes um, so Dr. Bright, if you can hear me, hopefully you're, yeah. you know, you're uh, yeah, he's getting better. Uh, speak to us quickly about um, how you think, because I have heard a lot of um, the, the challenges are clear for everyone to see but we're still churning out you know some bright students year in year out many of us on this podcast are a product of the nigerian education as we have it except for well maybe a lot of you went outside to study but some of us had all the education we've had within this country how do you think uh, we can make the best of what we have where we are uh we're talking about appreciating teachers there is what the CSOs are doing but how do you think every single stakeholder can actively participate in this well I whilst she's waiting to um because I think maybe her audio you know the internet has been an issue to the connectivity um everybody is a stakeholder I I say from the children all the way up to those in government and the family and the parents um you know there is a system here a value system that is yeah. important that goes into place and when you begin to value teachers and value the students in return and bring in the parents who are adding value to the system i think that you can make a, a, a lot of change um, allocating funding is important in terms of improving the educational state of a country or a community let's even start with a community before we even begin to go into a country but all the stakeholders within a community must have a vested interest in the students, but also those who are involved within that profession. Okay, I'd like to add something. Um, I think the value of teachers needs to be, um, we need to change the narrative because young people don't aspire to be teachers anymore. Unlike back in the day when you look up to teachers as your role models, and um, your teacher is your second parent, so to speak. So I think that narrative um, has to be changed and appreciate those that are giving up knowledge, those that are teaching, both informal education and informal education. As someone mentioned, it's not only in school you learn, you also learn from your community, from groups, from activities. So we should appreciate and increase the value of teachers why are teachers not getting paid for six months why are teachers i mean not being celebrated they, we celebrate our celebrities our sports stars our, our um music people why are teachers not being celebrated why are teachers not being role models so we need to change this narrative because education is key to any society education is one of the most important things both formal and informal. Why are we not changing this narrative? I don't know. And congratulations to all the teachers in the world. Yesterday was Teacher Appreciation Day. So anybody that's impacting knowledge, especially all of us here, because in one way or the other, we're all teachers, both physically, online, virtually, hybrid, whatever we're doing, we're all teachers on this platform. Dr. Amar, Kimberly, RG, um, basically, all of us, me, Femi. So, congratulations to us too. I will congratulate us. 
Thank you. You know, so uh, one of the questions that I had raised earlier, and really this is a discussion more than a panel, is yes. actually, I think Bissy had raised it. Um, AJ, I don't know if you were here earlier when we, we were talking about um, being able to go out into the rural areas and doing teacher and doing health education in the schools, you know, um, to create greater awareness. And um, just wondering, is that something that you, your organization will consider? Because here we are, it's cancer month. We're talking about breast cancer. Of course, I like to talk about all the cancers because it's a global disease that's, that affects millions. How do we begin to have conversations um, in schools whereby health education is important? Incidentally, at the school that we visited today, um, I had a few young ladies who approached me to say, I want to be a scientist, but how can I be a scientist if I've never had a laboratory? I, I thought, where, where do I get the answer for this young lady? And I said, so how do you want to do it? You know, oh, we don't have the money to buy science kits. You know, if we don't have money to buy science kits, how can we do experiments? And what this child was really speaking to was the fact that all of the learning was being done through a textbook, but there was no applicability and there was no chance to, ex to explore. And so that curiosity as to how do I see things come to action was really important. And um, they also expressed their concern that, um, you know, would there even be a chance for them to get to universities? Uh, and when they get to university, would they be able to graduate? And, you know, as an educationist, it was not easy to hear these kinds of conversations from, from teenagers who were concerned about the future. But, the, but um, we have to think about one, how we improve education as a whole, the formalized education, but the informal education, like BC mentioned, health education, how do we get those into schools and, and disseminate information that's vital for health and well-being? So to Amma, um, like I mentioned earlier that we adopted, we adopted this grammar school and we're open to having partners work with us for like health education talks including their parents so the whole idea is to have a calendar of events for example in september i should have presented to the school calendar of events of all the programs that we were going to be running with the school but that now depends on the partners that we have to tell us okay we want to come around on this month to teach health education so they give us that time allocation for us to to meet with the students so yes the possibilities are there for that sort of um, partnership and uh, program at the school. Um, if if the internet would allow me to share this, I wanted to share the experience I had in in Liberia many years ago when Secretary General of the West African Postgraduate College of Pharmacists. They did not have a laboratory, and they were training pharmacy students. But we had to innovate and um, we, we had to have um, a practicum class on video and they would take right through stage by stage on video. Um, and, and apart from the video, um, we now had um, a practical rotation. If I can add just uh, one more angle to this conversation as we begin to wrap up is the role you think parents must play as teachers themselves because one of the challenges we've seen recently you know is a situation where parents assume have paid school fees and then my children are in this school or that and then i have no responsibility to play in you know their education and you know we also understand that education is broader than just academics there's character and you know leadership and a lot of things there are many things that many of us grow up to say oh i learned this from my parents how do we what's that perspective of um, a parents being a teacher and how much of a responsibility do you think that each parent has in this regard as we wrap up if i may I have to start here by saying parents are the first teachers. Parents are the first teachers. And um, it is important that parents, school teachers, community teachers, students, everybody comes together to create a nexus 
whereby the learning, the success, the well-being of a child is a shared responsibility. Parents must be involved in the education of their children in and out of school, in and out of the home. It is absolutely, absolutely pivotal. Um, earlier today, I was talking about the value system in education and it does involve parents. So parents must be involved and the community itself must be involved as well, whether it's through NGOs um, or CSOs that are part of it. So it's very, very critical that we, we, we bring parents in. Um, you know, I was going to go into a psychological thing, but I'm not going to because I know we're getting ready to wrap up. But parents must be involved. Absolutely. Parents, teachers in the formal setting, informal teachers, the community, the mentors, the, the leadership, um, the CSOs. It's an ecosystem and that ecosystem literally must take part and play their role for the success of and well-being of the next generation. Well, thank you, Dr. Amma. We'll get your final comments now, Ajiri, Peter Amaboyu, and Dr. Bright. Uh, let's begin with Ajiri. All right, thank you very much, everyone. Um, I'll encourage everyone again. My last message is to adopt a school and um, mentor a teacher, mentor a child in a public school, precisely. As we do that, we are actually reaching our community and the society at large. Thank you. We need to get back to that adage, it takes a village to raise a child. I remember when I was a little boy, the neighbors, uncles, aunties, they all took responsibility. I could not misbehave when my parents were out because I knew I had consequences from the neighbor. The neighbor used to discipline us. So it takes a village to raise a child. We should get back to that. Thank you. Dr. Bright, do we still have a village? <laughs> Thank you. I think the village exists. I even wanted to just expatiate on what uh, Mr. Boyo said by saying that we should adopt a low literacy woman. And that's at a course I attended years ago. Adopt a low literacy woman near you because when you educate a woman, you educate a nation. If you pick that groundnut seller near you and you educate her or you, you, you adopt, you're going to help to see that her children are educated and she is better educated. Even if literacy level is still low, she'll be more um, helpful in other things. So adopt a lowly woman around you. All right. A big thank you. <laughs> I would like to say that as we... As we wrap up this um, podcast, I know Nifemi, you have something to say, but just give me a moment, please. Um, I want to remind everyone that we must live, we must live our lives with a great sense of awareness of everything that's going on around us. But we must also appreciate what it is that we have and who we are, because the way to impact lives is to be aware and to be appreciative. Thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Amif. Uh, thank you for the platform. Thank you for always sharing. Thank you, Dr. B.C. Bright. Thank you, Ajiri Donnelly. Thank you, Peter Amon Boyo. And a big thank you to Kimberly Peterside, who joined us earlier. Uh, the biggest impact or the greatest investment we can have is in people. And um, teaching is one of those um, great tools to achieve that. So we appreciate everyone who's been a teacher, our parents. You know, I remember Mike Boateng, who was my primary school teacher. He taught me maths. He was so passionate about me that when I left primary school, he found out from my father that I wasn't doing well in maths in JSS3. And he started coming back to the house to teach me maths. That's how passionate he was about his work. I, I doubt if he's still in Nigeria now, but shout out to... Uh, Mike Boatink and everyone who's doing a great job in that regard. I'm Nifem Yogutoy, Dr. Ama. We'll be back next week with another exciting one. Thank you. Thank you very and much, like everyone. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to shout out to my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Udo, who I'm still in contact with now because she's a mother to thousands of children. She's our first teacher and she knows everybody by name. When you see her 20 years, 40 years, 50 years later, she knows who you are. So How did you remember your kindergarten teacher? I mean, that's how good oh, she is. That's Everyone amazing. Knows her. That's a good amazing. 
Oh my, interesting. Uh, thank you to all the teachers. All Bye right, everyone. thank you. Bye. Thank you. This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast. The executive producer is Dr. Amma. Co-producer Peter Amon Boyle. The podcast is edited by Nelkan and it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoye. Thinking Reimagined emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change. The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect the opinions of thinking reimagined producers or personnel. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening and we, we hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed this episode. episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play and other outlets. We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week. Thinking Reimagined podcast is produced by Live Abundantly. We welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website, livesabundantly.com. Or you can follow us on social media on Live Abundantly 8. Thinking, Thinking Reimagined, changing, changing the, mindset the mindset for a better global, global society. society.